Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 of Business Therapy. I'm Sam, and as always, I'm here with Jonathan, and today we have Karen joining us. Before we get started today, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment so you can stay up to date on all of our weekly topics and discussions. Today, Karen comes to Business Therapy with some questions about managing a virtual team, which is a pretty hot topic nowadays, given the entire COVID scenario. So Karen, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you. You can give a little bit more of an introduction of your and then tell us about your feeling, what you're thinking about the whole virtual team topic. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for inviting me to ask this question and provide some feedback on it. So my name's Karen. I'm a process manager professional, and I lead a team of five process managers, all working through um, being well-managed on various aspects of um, basically asset management. And so um, we've just had our two-year anniversary for being virtual. And I've been leading this team for about six months now. And I've run into different challenges because every different team member has a different perspective on how they want to be led in this virtual environment. So I get some feedback about Zoom fatigue and wanting to eliminate meetings, whereas other team members feel kind of lonely throughout the day if they don't have meetings. So they've asked me to implement daily stand-ups. So it's finding a compromise that works for everyone and a way to keep people accountable when you're not in the office with them every day. Yeah, it's such a relevant topic is the first thing I'll say. And I'm also smiling because it's it's such an expansive topic in a way. It touches on so many different things. So I'm really glad that you brought it up because I think it will give us a, a lot of different things that we could address. I, th I think my, my first impression on in terms of any sort of, okay, there's been a big change in the environment and what, do, what is the best way to manage the new situation? I would ask you another question first about what was your legacy or your as-is process looking like? Um, and that's normally where we would start thinking about, okay, so before you were forced into this virtual setting, what was the cadence looking like? And I know you said you just took this team maybe six months ago, but maybe give us a little insight into the work culture before COVID, before the pandemic, and before you were kind of forced into an all virtual environment. Yeah, before we were in the virtual environment, we were pretty meeting heavy still in the office. So um, it was running from meeting room to meeting room throughout the day. And then also a lot of side of desk pull-ups. So you would, if you had a question, you'd walk over to someone's desk, get a good idea of uh, what was going on around you. Um, a lot of my team used to say that they learned the most through like eavesdropping on side of desk conversations. So that was actually a big part of our culture, just like hearing what questions came up and then being able to pull up really quickly as a team and talk through it. So we have that piece that's missing. Um, we also used to like, go to the cafeteria at lunch together and just sit down and get to know each other more. So since, um, since I became the leader of this team, we've had new team members added who we just don't know as well because we weren't working together in the office. So it's also that like personal connection that you have to be so intentional about in this virtual environment. Was, was the team co-located? It sounds like. Yeah. Before. And the nature of the work, you know, what are they mostly going out to different teams to work on their processes or are they focus, you know, are they generating materials like 
trying to get an understanding of how mobile this team had to be. Yeah, it was mostly um, internal as one organization. Um, and so my team does a lot of the like process mapping and like actually going through the uh, business process management tools, like creating side pocks for team processes and really helping other teams within our organization map out their current state and um, proposing some improvements. Uh, and then helping map out future states. So it's a double remote problem. It's uh, the team itself in terms of managing them as a team, but then it's also all of their work during this pandemic, which normally would have been all co-located, you know, all these major workshops and now it's all virtual. So two steps removed. Yeah. And in the legacy environment that you're describing, did you have the same sort of discussion of meeting fatigue or did we find that in person and all these sort of ad hoc and scheduled transactions, it didn't seem to tire people out as much? Yeah, it didn't seem to. I think it's because we were moving around the office. So it was never we were sitting in one room. It was we have a conference over in, in the, down the hall and then we move over to a different building or a different office and have another meeting. So it seemed more active. Whereas now there's no time for transition. It's just back-to-back -back meetings throughout the day. Uh, and it's all in Zoom in home offices. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fascinating because it touches on a lot of different things. And I think one of it is fatigue. You talk about that one aspect. I think a lot of people, when things are fun, you get fatigued less. And when the same type of thing is done in a less fun manner, it can become way more tiring, way more quickly. And then a lot of times in a, in a business scenario, I think one has to ask themselves, what are we paying for in terms of productivity? And sometimes one can say that investing in people being able to have a good time and have fun is part of the formula because it increases productivity. So the answer would not be, hey, we're not paying you guys to have fun and we don't really care that this is more fatiguing for you. This is the work and this is how you do it. That's not, it's not quite as black and white as that. I think there's definitely a mixture there. So when you're looking at the as-is process and the things that, that offer relief that are just natural in an in a in-person context, like being able to joke, being able to read people's body cues, being able to kind of have micro conversations without having to schedule it on their calendar. Um, it's a way of working that people have been accustomed to. And it also just made the work more enjoyable. And then when you lose that, it, it's one of those things. And, and I know, Jonathan, you and I talk about this a lot, which is what you lose that you may not have been taken for granted can be a big cost. Because if you look at your old environment as this was an actual added benefit to the process, that you had these, these micro interactions, that people were able to see other people around to do these things, it's a cost to lose that. So one question is, how are you replacing that in the Zoom environment? When you think about it that way, what were the positive things that were offsetting some of the drudgery of all-day meetings, of all-day workshops, of these things? And have we adequately invested in identifying the gap or replacing them in the virtual environment? And that, that becomes an interesting, okay, how do I take my current process and then I modulate it so that the new context can fit it? And I think a lot of companies are struggling with this. And I think it will lead to some of your other questions, which is, what are the mechanisms in place? Are we replacing some of the fun aspects, some of the more human aspects in the virtual environment? And I think a lot of people, that's what they're asking. What, what are those things? And how would we replace them virtually? Can we replace them virtually? And if the answer is we can't, 
well, then how do we change the workday so that it can accommodate to the new scenario? So that's a that's a broad comment. And Jonathan, did you you look like yeah, you're? I'll, I'll make a suggestion that the issues that uh, remote work brings up are not new and not and are not specific to the fact that it's remote work. I think re the remote work is forcing us to be a lot more deliberate in understanding all the different dimensions of work. So one, what are the objectives the team has? Like what does success look like for each team member and for this team as a whole? Before, because everybody saw everybody working, you don't really have as much of a sense of, oh, maybe somebody's not working enough or you know, isn't doing something. You know, now, unless you're on back-to-back -back Zoom calls, you know, maybe that's the equivalent of someone not being at their desk or something like that. But as you're saying, it's not productive. If you're on Zoom calls all day long, you're probably not uh, you're not generating a lot of new new thought or or uh, uh, product. Although I appreciate some of the product you know that, that your team produces is the actual call. You know, maybe a mapping or you know some, something that's occurring. But you also raised the team isn't as engaged or people feel feel lonely. You know, so like this really gets to the heart of things because. What's the employer's responsibility and what's the transaction that occurs that makes an employee feel engaged and, and want to, uh, to contribute? And I don't think that an employer can, can help with the, you know, an employee feels lonely or unfulfilled other than through their relationships at work. That being said, for each one of these areas, I think we can be very deliberate. And I don't know if Sam, if we, maybe we break it down, you know, to the different areas, but I think starting with objectives that, that the, the team has, I think that a lot of studies are showing now that people only have a certain number of productive hours every day anyway, and it's not eight hours or whatever number of hours people are, uh, are assessing because the brain just can't stay on that, that, that much. So what would be a reasonable amount to expect from this team um, and, and a reasonable output based on maybe four hours in a given day? You know, so I'll, I'll start there, right? Do you think you could be that deliberate in, you know, in, in looking at an expectation for individual team members or, or what you would consider success for the team that goes beyond number of hours. Yeah, I, I really like that thought process and it's not something I've really thought about. Um, but I, the reason I really like that um, idea of trying to measure productivity in less time, like four hours, is right now because of the way that our our virtual environment is structured with meeting after meeting my team has no time to think <laughs> so when you're going from meeting to meeting and then having to face the problems in a meeting not internally uh, because you don't have the time to do that I think we lose that like creativity and problem solving um, and I really think that time just allotted to just sit down and think about a problem or reflect or go on a walk and think things through is what we're missing um, and is what's really important. Well, and, and another thing about that is the physical environment. And this is what, what you know, we started the call more broadly. You have an investment in the structured workday where if I'm going to commute to work and I'm going to be co-located and everyone has the expectation to co-locate from nine to five, let's say. There's a lot of things that are just going to fill that time, whether you only had three hours of work in a day or five hours or seven hours of work in a day, people are going to fill the time with something that could be socializing. It could be taking their own time. It could be going on a walk, taking a longer lunch. The time will get filled. That same pressure is not there when you're in a completely virtual environment. 
So whereas you feel maybe pressure that my workday could have ended early because I'm already at my home and somebody else's is going longer, there becomes more natural tension because people have different constraints. And that's where I think this conversation is opening up the world over that Jonathan's talking about, which is what is the length of the actual workday when you're always sitting in your bedroom or you're at home and your family's, you know, one door away. Um, there's more of a opportunity cost to walking around virtually and talking to your coworkers when you're not on the clock, because every moment could be a moment that you walk out of the room and spend with your family, spend investing in a hobby. And I think for some people that's really changed the dynamics in which they think about work, even at a subconscious level. And I think as managers, we have to look at the reality of that. And you can't just assume that people's same mentality, same motivations in a nine to five at the office are going to be there the same way when the office is now virtualized. And I think that's something that first bringing awareness to that as a manager is going to be important in understanding, well, hey, my team was really happy before the pandemic, and now they're all really sad for a number of reasons that they're trying to articulate. But if you're just thinking, well, this, this is mostly just a one-to-one, -one, why is it not working? I, I mean, everything has changed. They're, like I said, on a, on a psychological level for people, even if they can't articulate it that way, everything is different. The value of their time is different. The whole, the whole kind of working relationship is different. So I think there are a lot of factors there and it's a very broad, it's a very broad challenge for managers to get in the mindset of how do I now satisfy my people personally and professionally in this new, new world? I, I would say, suggest also though that uh, the nine to five beforehand introduced a lot of constraints that, that are definitely unnecessary, but potentially very harmful because different employees and, and people are productive, have maximum pr productivity at different hours during the day. Not everybody works, you know, or has the identical schedule. And so this, this nine to five would force people to commute and potentially have lunch at a certain time and do, you know, a lot of things at a certain time that didn't necessarily uh, um, align to what would make them actually most productive. So that's, that's why I come back to looking a lot less at how people are working and looking a, a lot more at the output. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's, it could be hard for, I think, any team, unless you're, you know, creating widgets. And Sam and I have talked about this. If, you, if you're creating something that's so predictable that you can actually quantify perfectly, it's probably automatable, you know, so you're, you're probably in the wrong line of work. So, you know, it can be hard, but I think that's what I meant before about putting a line in the sand and saying, I'm comfortable with X output. I'm not going to worry about if that means that my team, you know, and a lot of times people pick output that is way beyond what they thought the team could do, but maybe the team does it in half the time and uh, uh, you have to be comfortable then with the consequence that could be people not work, you know, necessarily being on, online for eight hours, exactly as you would imagine. Yeah. Well, and Karen, and before I just make you sit there and just listen to this go on and on, I want to re-engage you, but but give me another minute or two because I've been synthesizing the conversation a little bit. And I think it would help. My, my helpful advice would be if you think about the various factors you're saying, I think when you're the manager and you're trying to man cultivate a virtual team, the way I'm starting to, I'm trying to articulate a model almost as we speak where you've got a few different things going on. And, and the first number one is what Jonathan is, is starting to introduce, which is an objective-based or a value production-based expectation is going to have to be a mindset shift for everyone who's moving to a virtual team environment. Because it, the, the mentality summarizes not what can we produce in a nine-hour day together, it's what should you be producing 
on an ongoing basis? And what am I going to measure as like your targets for productivity? And that's, that's still a shift for a lot of people in terms of how they're managed. And that's, that's like the business centric ask. And then the second dimension is teamwork. So a lot of it is, if you think about back to, I think his name's Tuckman, his model of the, the uh, forming, storming, norming, and performing uh, of team dynamics, no matter when a team is brought together in person or virtually, there's the tension of getting to know one another, understanding strengths and weaknesses, trying to learn enough about each other personally to actually get to a point where the team is performing. And I think virtually that dynamic changes a lot from in person. So you're managing objectives, you're managing that curve, the ability to, for people to coalesce successfully and reduce the time it takes from a team to form for it to sync up and start to have synergies and perform. And then the third aspect is, is the personal one where you're talking about people are sad, people are lonely, but that to me is a totally separate dimension that you would manage. And these are all like, you know, it's not, Hey, I'm managing dimension one, two, and three, but I think thinking about as a manager, the different check boxes that I would want to do to say, how am I going to manage my virtual team? Cause you could, you could manage these same dimensions in the, in the local environment. But I think if you think about it that way, they're all different in the virtual environment and there's no playbook anymore. So how am I going to manage my, my own objectives and performance targets? How do I manage my teams being able to coalesce uh, quickly and effectively? And then how do I manage my, my employees' personal well-being, which is their need to socialize, their need to spend nine hours or the majority of our waking day having some sort of outlet where they can even find coworkers to date find people who can be friends with them. Like these are human things that we've been used to in the last few decades of work. And I don't think it's out of the purview of a manager, if you want to be a, a strong manager, in my opinion, to ask your employee about these things and, and address them. But I think addressing them at a personal level and not conflating them with personal, like prof professional expectations is going to help keep those lines clean. So that that's my summary of what I think I, I would, if I could propose a model on the fly, um, let me let you comment if that helps articulate what, what we might be looking at. Yeah, I think that absolutely helps um, create like a, a framework for how to think about the problem and how to address it. Um, I think you both have mentioned just like being at home and how that kind of blurs the lines of work versus home life. And so that's where that, that piece of like, feeling lonely if you don't have a personal connection during the day does tie in with the work because it does affect the outcome of our objectives. So I think it's all really interesting to think about and to reframe the mindset to focus on the objectives and less on the, the time. So, um, and also I, I love what you're saying, Sam, about just finding that, that team aspect and like investing in that time. That's something that I've tried to do like candle making classes and just like team events but I think it needs to be more of a not a once a quarter type of thing it needs to be like a daily we need to carve out time to become a team yeah and, and I think in that way at least the way I think about it transparency is so critical in virtual environments and having people understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and that's why a lot of times being able to articulate what your goal is of a candle making event is so critical because for some people, icebreakers and just socializing with their coworkers is torture. And for some people, it's what they're looking for. But if you have a candle making event and the objective of the event is to just purely socialize for people to have social energy, you can help people choose whether that's important to them or not. Versus if you have an event that people are discussing their strengths and weaknesses, their teamworking cadence, their communication styles and preferences, you could say the objective of this meeting 
is to promote better teamwork on our current objectives. And to me, both could be in the form of an icebreaker or a social gathering, but having a conscious purpose. And, you know, this, this mirrors what Jonathan is saying, like every interaction has to be more deliberate. Every interaction has to have more of a, what are we like an agenda of what are we calling this, this social interaction together for in a virtual environment? And what are we hoping to achieve out of it? And I think a lot of times employees really resonate and react well, if they're given the choice to participate or not, because if you know what you're trying to achieve and it works for some and not for others, then you can also let them decide. I think a lot of fatigue comes from, I have eight hours of meetings on my calendar. And I don't have a choice whether I need to be in any of them. And I think that that also is a big source of fatigue in the virtual world, which is people feel that I don't have any autonomy, whether I have to show up to every single one of these meetings and I don't know the clear objective. So getting more, it's even, it calls for more focus on agendas, more focus on objectives and trying to help people understand what outcomes they're trying to do before you get into it. I think the best thing, uh, Karen, you, you had said uh, reframing, and I think that's the key to, to all of this, you know, to, to, to everything that we're saying in that this is a real opportunity. People, employers are trying to go back to a nine to five or recreate what exists before, maybe only three days instead of five days or like, but basically everyone's trying to get this comfort of what existed before because there's a sense that there are problems. I can assure you there were plenty of problems before. So maybe some teams, you know, maybe teams were getting together, but there was always some team members who didn't feel engaged, didn't feel like they, you know, liked getting together or, you know, maybe liked the topics or something. We should be thinking this is like an opportunity. This is really exciting because now we can get to the heart of what, what's really meaningful and what matters. And this artificial construct of, of nine to five or, um, or whatever the office gave, it, it was an illusion. You know, and it, and it certainly wasn't uh, productive. So I think if we're very deliberate about what the team's, team's trying to achieve, but then also how to get engagement, like what is meaningful engagement, especially, you know, now they're all, you know, the, such a focus on diversity and inclusion. When, when we have a scenario where you really have to think through, you know, how do we really solicit opinions? How do we really get, you know, different thoughts and, and innovation here? That it's, it's hard. Um, and that's why I just want to add one comment to what Sam said about agendas and everything else. Even if the meeting is, we're not going to have an agenda, we're going to do nothing. Maybe we'll all just watch each other, you know, do nothing for an hour, you know, and give our, you know, ourselves a chance just to feel like, oh, we're all together or something. That's fine too, but at least it's deliberate. So, uh, you know, as opposed to, oh, people love the, you know, the X meeting because it's a chance just to find out how, you know, different people's, you know, kids did on little league or whatever the heck, you know, like, but it's more of a chance to, uh, yeah, be very, very, very deliberate. Well, I think wasting time, this is the best way to summarize it. Wasting time when you're at home is much more painful for people than wasting time at work. If you're, if you're in the office already, somebody wasting your time, it's like, I'm on the clock and you paid for it. Wasting time in your own home you become much more aware of how painful that is. And I think it just makes managers' jobs that much more harder because it's essentially people are putting more pressure on their managers to set a tone that's more efficient and more directional. And like we keep saying more deliberate because your, your employees are going to get disenchanted faster when you're keeping them from the things that they love. And I think that's just the natural outcome that people don't articulate very much, but I've seen it as a very consistent pattern across every industry and, and size of business, because now you're not keeping them from leaving an hour early from the office. You're keeping them from the things they like doing. You're keeping them from their personal life. It's that much more real. So I guess we've been, we've been waxing eloquent. Uh, it, 
at this level of detail, I know we're kind of high level. So maybe Karen, if this is helpful, tell us maybe if you have any other additional questions about how to put this into application or maybe some nuanced examples or how are you feeling right now? Yeah, no, this has been really helpful um, to help me think through it. I think one thing that I'm actually experiencing right now is onboarding someone brand new to my team. And so um, that's kind of a whole other aspect of this because we've established kind of this virtual team dynamic of like trying to do stand-ups and trying to get to know each other. And now it's training and onboarding someone who's brand new to the process space, who's brand new to the whole asset management space. So it's teaching them everything and trying to get them onboarded and trying to make them feel like a team. Um, so that's something that I'm just facing currently and would love any insight you have, like bringing someone into that environment once you have it established. Sam, I'll just say quickly, uh, I've seen a lot of companies struggle with the onboarding process now. And I think it's because they had a very poor onboarding process before. I'm not suggesting you do at all, but like, I think the primary problem with, uh, with onboarding before was most of what was meaningful occurred through osmosis. They, they happened to talk to the person next to them, you know, they got the real information from, uh, you know, templates or things that someone else, you know, gave to them or they saw them working on. But again, now we have to be very deliberate. What are the skills that we need this person to have? What's the knowledge about the company? And, you know, what gets them up to speed? Because there's, especially when you're remote onboard, there's a lot less technical things that they basically need to spend two, three days doing because basically anyone could just zoom on in, you know, like, and, and there really is the, the barrier to, to product, to being productive is very low. So I think that it's an opportunity and you could be transparent, you know, with the whole team and say, okay, what was your onboarding process? You know, who are X person who recent, you know, whoever was more recently onboarded, how did you learn? What, what did you find helpful? What did you find unhelpful? And use as an opportunity as a team, and maybe it's also another team building exercise uh, to identify would be a better onboarding process and uh, what was not particularly helpful. Yeah. And, and my answer to supplement that would be, well, first I do, I think it's an entertaining thing to, to call out is that onboarding is so terrible from a, like you really just pull somebody in the office and a lot of times they'll sit there for hours and their training is just people come to them when they need help or they have something and they just slowly get absorbed. Uh, and it's funny because in the virtual environment, that means instead of being in the office with your tie on and appearing to be onboarding, you're just at home for seven hours a day in your pajamas with nobody emailing you, nobody reaching out and you not doing anything until finally a project actually materializes around you. And I think a lot of companies, even I've talked to through the pandemic, realize that we don't have an onboarding process. We don't have a training process. We don't have anything to actually incorporate people in a objective-based manner besides just having them be there and, and be extra capacity until we can figure out how to apply them. So I think there, there's definitely, you know, I'm, I'm reiterating Jonathan's points. I'm not really adding it because I just think it's, it's something that everyone should be reflecting on in their own context because it's, it, it's a big problem. You know, the virtual thing really revealed. But I do think that it's, it's critical, even if you think about the dimensions we just talked about, training, onboarding and training to me are just synonymous. There's the onboarding where yes, they go through HR and they do this, but I think we have to have a really conscious training objective and training program or paradigm for new people. 
And, and that's not easy. That's not something that comes without effort. And like Jonathan said, can, canvassing the people on your team, what skills were they lacking? What happened? But a lot of people are going to have to build this from scratch because a lot of people aren't used to building training programs for their people. But what skills do they need? How do we train them? And how do we train them and then immediately apply that to live project work on the job or live operating work on the job? And then you're really talking about what's the best practice to train people and then have a program ready so that you've got 30 hours of content for them to start consuming and then applying at least in their first week to to keep them engaged. The other thing I would say is when I've seen this done better in the last few years, one-on-ones with every team member, I think is, is definitely what I would recommend as a very tactical recommendation. So if I'm a new person who's just come on, having stand-ups and having like, hey, everyone says hi as a team, I think you would never do this in the live environment where everyone, well, sometimes you do depending on the role, but I mean, you would sit down and schedule an hour with every team member they're going to be talking to and say like, please use the hour and get to know each other and set the objective very clearly that you may not talk like this intimately in the virtual environment again for weeks or months, or even for your entire tenure here. But everyone who's on your team, your managers, your direct reports, your immediate team ecosystem, that whole first week should be an hour with each of them sitting down and getting to know them personally with your cameras on face to face and spending the time so that they at least can put a face to a name and some level of of, uh, personal affect. Because I've had so many people complain when that piece is not done, it takes them months to even start to feel comfortable reaching out to people. I've, I've seen onboarding during COVID where I will start a new role or watch somebody start a new role and they wanted to see their team members' faces for weeks because people have camera fatigue or they don't want to. So I think a lot of us need to get more comfortable, especially mandating that when it's appropriate. The objective of this meeting is to create a personal connection. Please have your camera on. Please, you know, be there and kind of put the time into it. I think a lot of people are, are a bit timid to address those kind of things. And I've seen a lot of that politicking come up with, well, do we, when do we have cameras on? When do we have cameras off? I think there's certain things that people are looking to their managers to make those calls to say, you know, if your manager says it's very important that for this meeting, for this objective, you should have your camera on, you should have a, you know, it it just means you have to clean yourself up to a basic extent or whatever you feel comfortable with, but you need to make a personal connection. That's the goal of this meeting that never needed to be stated in the office. I think it needs to be stated now more explicitly. So one-on-one meetings, And then like Jonathan said, having clear training programs, having clear materials ready, having an engagement, having a a first few weeks that clearly spell out how somebody's going to get engaged with the team, what activities, what objectives, uh, because it's not going to happen passively anymore. So I think having a more engaged approach is is essential. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love Jonathan, your point about making that like a team event to get together and get that kind of feedback. I think that's um, a really great idea. And then Sam, one thing you said um, that I thought was interesting because as I have been developing this training and onboarding program, I've been thinking very much about like the, the, the task of the role, but you said the word um, skills. So like intentionally training on skills, which might sound bad, but I haven't really thought about that. Um, there are unique skills required for this like process manager role, even if it's like, using Google, Google Sheets, and they've only used Excel, like that kind of thing. So incorporating that into the onboarding, I think is something, like you said, when you're just sitting there for a couple of days without a real objective or something to accomplish, like that, a training that could be done, like a Google Sheets training, instead of just sitting there not knowing what to do. 
Yeah. And one other thing I'd add to that, that if you're going to, if you're going to put this into action, and this might be for my years of being a consultant, but I think the most critical thing for onboarding somebody is spending an hour or having your team put together a training that's specifically on orientation. Where am I sitting in the company? Where's my business unit sitting in what, what are, where's my department? How many people are in the org? I know that a lot of companies struggle to have up-to-date org charts, but in terms of getting somebody into your network, especially in the virtual environment, it's so easy to feel untethered when you don't know where everyone sits, how the company is structured, what's the total headcount of the company. If you're a company that can provide financial information, say how much your team produces, say how much revenue and cost you, you are versus the whole company. People, you, you underestimate how easily people pick up a lot of orientation from walking into an office and seeing how many people are around, how many buildings are on campus, how many buildings are, how many locations you have around the country. Um, you don't get any of that from your desk at home. So even spending the first part of your orientation, the things we used to take for granted, having a presentation on, this is my company. This is how many people are at this company. This is how old my company is. This is how much revenue we make. It's almost like training people on the Wikipedia profile of the company. I really, I, I think it's super critical for consultants. And you know, from the consulting side, I train my people to ask for that information up front because it makes things go, it lays a foundation. But I think it's even just as critical, if not more critical, when you're onboarding new corporate staff to give them that same orientation, because it's not, it's not something you get in the interview. It's not something that you, you, you tend to learn that through osmosis. And I think in the virtual environment, it's even more important to add that to anything that you, you describe to people when they come on. And this also gets to the heart. I just want to highlight something Sam said earlier about transparency. I think as a manager, one of your number one objectives is to foster as much transparency as possible. And, and, and that gets to, you had mentioned, uh, employees obtained a lot of benefit from eavesdropping on conversations. So now we have to be a little bit more deliberate about that. And it's, what were they learning? Like, what was that information? And the amount of time employees spend on wondering about why they did this or that, and that they being some, you know, faceless, you know, leadership, you know, it is, is incredible. But a lot of the times it's just, it, there it's readily available information. So I think extending Sam's logic about just, you know, giving that transparency as an, as an intro, I think it's another team uh, building exercises. What kind of eavesdropping, like what, let, let's get detailed about what exactly we learned from there. And maybe we could be more deliberate about it, or maybe there are conversation, other zoom calls that are going on at the company that maybe we could be, you know, we could have a representative listen in on. Um, and, and that could be our new form of eavesdropping um, because I can't imagine, and, and eavesdropping, this is, um, and, be, and being co-located, that is definitely the way, a, especially a process team gets a lot of information all the time. So this, this is not, not unfamiliar, but it's really more, how can we be more uh, optimized about it? You know, because maybe for every piece of information that was beneficial in the eavesdropping, they're also finding it out about, you know, oh good, the cat got better and, you know, whatever else that the, you know, they learned uh, by just being near somebody. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just, again, promoting transparency, figuring out how you can get more access to information, how you could share more, and and what, what would be helpful to the team. Yeah, I really love that idea um, because my team does interact with several other teams within the organization. And that idea just made me think of like sending a representative to a monthly team meeting of another team and just having them sit there and not really participate, but just hear what they think is important that's going on in their world would be really beneficial for our team. 
because um, we have organizational restructures all the time within other teams and in this virtual environment we often hear about it because we reach out to someone and they they say like i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> go to this person but there's not there is a gap in communication there so i think that's a really great idea that i'll definitely take back um, to try to get someone in on these team meetings you know what would be i bet um in the past, I've asked uh, people who even lead other teams or, or can be quite senior in an organization, would you mind uh, giving a 20-minute presentation to my team on, you know, what you do on X topic? You'd be amazed how much, how people are going to, you know, no matter how senior they are, how happy they'd be to give an intro and what it does for the energy of the team is like, oh, wow, you know, like, it's very exciting, you know, so I think that's another way of being deliberate about uh, getting information and, uh, you know, then the team can ask questions and the like, uh, but it, 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 it works well for your brand awareness, you know, for your team and for uh, uh, that, that transparency. Yeah, I mean, that makes me think it's probably a good idea for my team to put together like a little walk around desk where we just go to people's meetings and say, this is who we are, especially because we are, we are only oh. six months old. Um, so there, there probably are a lot of new faces on my team that we should definitely get into other meetings and present ourselves on a personal level. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And honestly, when you start being intentional about it, it's going to end up being more efficient than just waiting to wander around the office and run into people or the way that stuff used to happen. Yeah. And I, and I think meeting fatigue to kind of come back full circle, if people are getting fatigued at meetings, it's usually, there's usually a good reason for it. You know, I always say to trust, trust the people and a lot of managers I've talked to, and, and I'm not, I'm not projecting to say you, Karen, particularly, because I don't think it might be the case for you or not, but a lot of people have been very lax about this is the same meeting schedule. You just got to buck up. It's a pain over zoom but it's not, it's the same, the same meetings in a different context are not the same meetings. And if people are finding them to be tiring or they're not as productive, you got to take that space to open up and think, how can we be more productive given this new context? How can we all meet our requirements and do things in a different way? And I think that's the innovation part. That's the exciting part. We have a chance to recreate something really cool here and really shape the future of work. If we think about what's actually happening here, because I don't think at this point, anyone is going to Think that we're going to go back fully to how it ever was so it's for everybody you know your team and anyone listening if you're thinking about this for your team it's for you to define how you're going to make this work make this work better than than the old way and make everyone happier overall and i think it's definitely possible and i think this virtual working i guess this is a hot take i think overall it's going to be much better for everybody once we settle into it i also want to highlight you there was one point i think sam made earlier about the the skills um, it, I think when it comes to investing in employees and, and creating that engagement from them, if they believe that you're championing them in, as an individual and their capability as an individual, <clears throat> that creates a much stronger bond than any other amount of time you're going you're gonna to spend with the individual. At least it'll create a much more, a, a greater bond with someone who you'd want you know, to promote within the organization. And I think the, the easy way to do that is to identify, you had said the the skills that that people need, um, but also let them, you know, come come and say, hey, I'm interested in expanding my horizon in the following dimension, and let them present to the team as a group and say, I think our team should have X skill set, you know, or and here's a way, 
or um, if, if uh, somebody doesn't know a particular software or something like that, let one of the team members learn up on it and present it. Don't put all the pressure on yourself, I guess, is what, a, what was where I was going with that, that, that you don't need to feel the need to teach everybody or know everything, but assign it to people. The, the, you know, the, you'll see who's more capable, who could present, uh, and, and it, it'll be a good way for people to engage. Yeah, it's, it's the accountability, especially we talk about cross-pollinating training. I think in the virtual environment, this is something that's actually really exciting, which is the reason people get meeting fatigue, and this may seem counterintuitive, it's because if they're sitting in seven out of eight meetings a day and they have no speaking part, they have no leadership role, they have no accountability. When you're in the meeting room sitting in person, you're still engaged because you have to be on. You have to take physical cues. You have to listen to other people's body language and things. So it keeps you more engaged. At home, if you can turn off your camera, you can be disengaged and it's actually worse. It's way worse. And that's what actually causes fatigue, the lack of engagement, the lack of being integrated in the situation. So one thing that is really critical that I'm glad Jonathan mentioned here in the end, because I think it's it's just overall for managing virtual teams is mix it up. If I have eight meetings in a day, I would expect every four, four of the meetings for every the people who are participating, one person should be accountable for all of them. I totally butchered that. What I'm saying is if I have eight meetings in a day on my calendar, I should be expecting to run four of them. You see, so like if you have a team of 10 people, you've got to give everyone different accountabilities. They need to be presenting. They need to be presenting material. They need to be prepping materials. They need to be leading. If you've got teammates who are on seven calls a day and they have no active role, I would also find that nauseating. There'd be no way. So start to spread the love, have different people accountable for different pieces, do different things. Um, if you can't create engagement physically, you got to create it through accountability, through through measures. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because even for myself, I know that when I the least engaged I am in a meeting is when I don't really have a, anything to contribute. So that's when I'll start like multitasking. And that's probably what's really wearing people out. It's trying to sit in these Zoom meetings. You know, you don't have a lot to contribute. So you start doing some side stuff because then your brain is just working on two different, totally ta different tasks. So. I, I mean, I, that definitely resonates with me personally. Yeah, and if you're, and if you, and if you, any of your people find themselves seven meetings a day where they're just disengaged and they're multitasking, they may as well not be there. So just tell them don't show up. And if that's a problem for somebody, then have the discussion. It's one of uh, the Truval, the Truval groups. One of their our main tenants is if there's no value for you being there, then don't be there because you're just wasting your time and other people's time. And I think in the virtual environment, that's even even more critical. Yeah, that is a conversation I've been having with my team lately, um, because we do tend to just get invited to everything because people aren't great about editing a, a, an invite list. And so they think like, if you maybe need to hear about it, we should just invite you. So that's, that is something I'm encouraging my team to do um, is like to edit down those invite lists and mark people as optional if they don't really have to be contributing. And then they can decide if they feel up for sitting through it. Awesome. So what else, Karen? I guess, do you feel better about managing virtual teams? And if not, we probably have time for one more question from you. <laughs> no, I feel like you solved all my virtual team management problems. <laughs> probably gave you more to think about than, uh, <laughs> than helped, but um, I'm glad. Yeah, I know yeah, it. No, this is great. Thank you. All right. Well, I don't have any last minute comments then. If you feel satisfied, then I think that we've done our job here on this episode of Business Therapist, giving everyone some food for thought about how to maybe take up their virtual management game. Jonathan, any closing thoughts from you? 
No, but we'll we'll have you on a where are they now segment or what happened, you know, segment uh, at some point in the future, and you'll say I listened to these guys and I don't know. No, hopefully it'll all be uh, you know very positive. So yeah. All right. Well, and thanks thank for you very Karen. much. Yeah, for, for for being on our show. Yeah, thanks for being on the show, and best of luck with managing virtual teams. And for everyone listening, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you.